You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the unsolved double murder of Russell and Shirley Dermond. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I feel like it was only yesterday that I was recording an episode with you, but here we are. It's been another week. We've survived. Yay. Um, and we're back at it again. Um, public service announcement to start, and this is, like, really important. I know that a lot of you listen to this while you're cleaning up or getting ready for the day or commuting to work, but... I really just need you to take a moment to stop whatever you're doing, turn your volume up in preparation for what I'm about to say. Okay, are you ready for this? I just wanted everyone to know that my home is officially decorated for Halloween. (laughs) It is seriously bringing me so much joy, so much life right now. Um, I love September. I hate January. Like that's a fun fact about me. I hate January because I love September when I get to put up all of my moody lights and my decorations for Halloween and then Christmas after that. And then in January, my house is just like stripped of its dignity and it looks naked and I just, I absolutely hate it. But Two days ago, I decorated for Halloween, and then the very next day, the weather in Salt Lake City got a bit chilly, and it started sprinkling, and the mountains are like shrouded in these dark, dark gray clouds, and I am in heaven, y'all. It seriously just makes me want to cozy up with a pumpkin spiced hot chocolate and watch like Hocus Pocus or The Others or Halloween Town or something like that. So if you feel like you're in a bit of a midweek slump, I would highly recommend putting up some Halloween decorations to like re-energize and just bring you life and joy. Um, Today, we are going to be discussing the tragic and unsolved double murder of Russell and Shirley Dermond. But before we get down to the nitty gritty, I need to hit you up with a little bit of housekeeping. And I promise, 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 cross my heart, hope to die, to keep it succinct. Okay. If you're not already following me on Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved, then you still have time to hit that follow button before I begin our third annual Halloween series. Yes, I always host a giveaway sometime in October because, like I said, it is like my favorite month in the entire year. Uh, So believe me when I say that you are not going to want to miss out on this giveaway, and I'm going to do it randomly sometime in the month of October. I'm going to hit you out of nowhere, so you better follow now so you don't get left behind, okay? Um, That being said, you can also follow me on Instagram because you want to comment on one of the cases that we cover. You want to shoot me a DM with a case suggestion and I mean, every once in a while, everyone's in the blue moon, I will pop in on stories and we'll have kind of like a little one-sided chat because I'm going to be the only one talking again. 
really, you guys need to like up your ante in this relationship because I feel like I am doing everything. Just kidding. Um, if Instagram ain't your thing like a chicken wing, I do have a website. It is www.mysterystillunsolved.com. There you can binge my now 90 episodes. Can you believe it? Only 10 more to go until I hit 100. Um, if you're already doing all of that and you still want to know how you can better support this podcast, one, you are like the greatest person ever and I appreciate you so much. And two, you can go over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Please, a good one for the love of everything holy because I need y'all to boost my self-esteem. My ego is quite fragile. Um, But leaving a review is a quick, free, and easy way to help my podcast spread because when a lone, true crime-loving soul out there in the desolate wilderness of life is searching for a new true crime podcast to get them through the day, possibly the only thing getting them through the day, the more reviews that I have and the better the reviews are, we will help that lone soldier find his way in the darkness of a sea of true crime podcasts. And like a diamond in the rough, a shiny beacon in the night, they will find Mystery Still Unsolved. <laughs> um, anywho, I think that that's all for housekeeping today. Yes, I think that that's all. Um, so without further delay, let's begin today's episode. Friday, May 2nd, 2014, was a pretty usual day for Mr. and Mrs. Russell and Shirley Dermond. Russell and Shirley had been married for 60 years. They were both in their late 80s. They had four children. Um, They were actually New Jersey transplants that had visited Georgia at some point and just completely fallen in love with it, and they decided to move there in the 1980s. Uh, They knew that this is where they wanted to spend the remainder of their days. Russell had served in World War II, and later when he had come home, he had been an executive for a clock factory, which is a sentence I have never said, and I probably will never say again in my life. Um, but Russell had kind of tired of the corporate world. I feel, I feel ya. And in the eighties, like I said, he decided to purchase a few hardy franchises in Georgia, which he and his adult children managed. The loving couple um, spent their day visiting with friends on their block and ran a few errands. The couple had actually been invited to a derby watching party the next day, so they prepared for that a little bit. Shirley had completed her daily crossword puzzle from the paper, and Russell was seen later that evening um, by a neighbor going for his nightly walk. So, you know, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Everything seemed hunky-dory. Uh, The next day, the couple's friends that held the annual derby watching party, they were a bit surprised when the Dermans never showed up because the host had actually spoken to Shirley not too long ago, and she could have sworn that they had said that they were both planning on it. So it was surprising, but not like too worrisome because like life happens and they just expected that the Dermans would call to apologize and let them know the reason for why they weren't able to make it. So none of the guests made too big of a deal of it. However, the next day, the Dermans did not call. Some friends, in fact, actually attempted to call them, but nobody answered. For the next two days, people attempted to call the Dermans, but no one ever answered. Their friends, the ones that planned the derby party and were very surprised that they didn't come, 
began to get really worried. And so on Tuesday, May 6th, uh, their neighbors decided that they'd head over to the Dermans' house and see if something was seriously wrong. When the friends got to the driveway of the Dermans' home, something did, in fact, seem odd. The Dermans' papers had been stacking up for quite a while, and this was very unusual because Shirley loved doing the daily crossword puzzle, and it even like when she went out of town, she always made sure to have someone pick them up for her because she wanted to do those Uh, crossword puzzles when she got back home. The friends knocked on the door and rang the doorbell, but still no answer. Finally, they had just like had enough. They absolutely needed to make sure that their friends were okay. Um, They had planned to break in, but there actually was no need because the door was unlocked. When they entered the home, there was no sign of the Dermans, but there was also no, no sign that any harm had come to them. The house was clean and pristine as always. That is how my house always looks until my kids come home. Uh, They called out to their friends and they got no response. They searched the entire home and everything seemed fine. Nothing was out of place. It didn't seem like there had been any signs of a struggle. Um, It was as if they had just dropped everything and left. So they decided to head to the garage to see if maybe that's exactly what the Dermans had done. Maybe they had gotten called away. Maybe their kids had had an accident or were hospitalized, or maybe there was some sort of an emergency and maybe they had left. And it was when they entered the garage that they made a gruesome discovery. Both of the couple's cars were in the garage and in between the two cars was a dead Mr. Russell Dermond. At least they thought it was Russell Dermond. They couldn't be entirely sure because the head was missing. Upon seeing this gruesome and horrendous scene, the friends immediately ran from the house and called the authorities. The investigators came right away, but they didn't really know what to do because you see the Dermans lived in a tiny gated community in Putnam County, Georgia. It's about an hour outside of Atlanta. The couples lived in a back lot of a cul-de-sac with a backyard which contained a private dock to the beautiful shores of Lake Oconee. It was quite an affluent area and violent crimes such as these had never plagued the tiny town. The investigators were able to determine that there was no forced entry into the home, Nothing of monetary value seemed to be missing from the property. They were also able to determine that the body that lay in the garage did, in fact, belong to Russell Dermond. But where was his head? And even more pressing, where was Russell's wife, Shirley? At first, police believed that Shirley had been kidnapped, perhaps for ransom, and they hoped that they would get a call from the suspect with a list of demands and an amount of money in exchange for Shirley's safety. However, that call never came, and it would be another 10 days before everyone learned the horrific truth of what had happened to Shirley. On Friday, May 16th, fishermen who were fishing in Lake Oconee found the body of Shirley Derman laying face down in the water. She had been weighted down with cement blocks, but had eventually floated to the surface of the lake. Her body had experienced extreme deterioration due to being in the water for such a long time. Her body had actually bloated to two to three times its original size. 
An autopsy report was conducted which revealed that the cause of Shirley's death was not drowning but in fact blunt force trauma to the head, most likely from a claw hammer due to the marks that that were made in her head. The lake and the surrounding areas were immediately combed for any sign of a murder weapon, any clue, or of course, Russell's head, but nothing was ever found. One thing that investigators found interesting was that Shirley's body was found floating five miles from their home, right in the area that was known to be the deepest part of the lake, 50 feet deep. Police couldn't help but think that whoever was involved in Shirley's death didn't choose this spot by accident, but knew the lake well. It was at this time that the tiny Putnam County Police Department knew with a surety that they had bitten off a bit more than they could chew, and they invited the FBI to help them with this investigation. The FBI poured over the Dermans' bank records, their business and personal bank accounts. They talked to anyone and everyone who knew the Dermans or had even like breathed in their direction at one point. Had there been a deal gone bad? Did someone have any reason to have a personal grudge against them? Were there any skeletons in the Dermans' closet? It was looked up and down, inside out, backwards and frontwards, sideways, all the ways. But there were no skeletons in their closet. Well, not really. There was an angle that investigators pursued, but it didn't end up leading anywhere, but it's probably still worth mentioning. In 1999, the Dermans were thinking of moving. Um, They felt like they had aged out of the big city of Atlanta, and they wanted a more peaceful place to retire. They began looking for a home in Putnam County when tragedy struck their family. Shirley and Russell's oldest son, who they had not been in close contact with for quite some time, was murdered by a local gang member over drugs. The murderer was arrested and sentenced and was currently serving time in prison. In the following months, the Dermans purchased a home within a gated community. It helped give them and their remaining surviving children peace that they would be living in such a safe and beautiful place. Police wondered if their eldest son's death could have had anything to do with the the Dermans' death, but that had been almost 14 years prior to this incident. It seemed a little delayed and kind of like pointless because their eldest son was dead. It's not like killing his parents would like teach him a lesson or coax him out of hiding or anything like that. So this theory kind of quickly fizzled out. Then there were the remaining children. Had one of them decided to kill their parents in hopes of getting their inheritance early. This theory was also thoroughly investigated by the FBI. All three remaining children and their spouses were given a polygraph test, which they all passed. The Dermans were well off, but like they weren't like super well off that you'd like kill your own parents over. I mean, their combined net worth was 1.5 million, which is definitely nothing to sneeze at, but more than half of that included the asset of their home. Also, if one of the children had gotten greedy, then why did they hide their mother's body by like attaching cement blocks to it. Surely they would have known that if someone isn't found, then the insurance won't pay out because the the insurance only pays if they know that the person is dead, not like hiding or missing. The FBI went as far as to go on record and have like a um, press conference and they publicly stated that none of the surviving Dermond family 
are people of interest at this time and that they have absolutely been absolved of any wrongdoing whatsoever. So with all of these failed theories and failed angles, what did the police even know? Well, police figured that the couple had been murdered on the morning of May 3rd because mail in the mailbox indicated this, as well as the fact that Shirley was found dressed for the day, possibly on her way out that morning, while Russell was still found wearing his pajamas. They also knew that Russell and Shirley had not been murdered in their home. The house was so clean and so immaculate that several officers made the comment that you could literally eat off of the floor. If the two had been murdered in their home, there surely would have been blood splatter all over the place or like an overwhelming scent of ammonia or bleach indicating that someone had cleaned up after themselves. While the couple hadn't been murdered at their home, Russell was decapitated in the garage exactly where his body was found, which meant that the killer had brought the couple somewhere, killed them, then took Shirley to the deepest part of the lake and brought Russell back to his own home to decapitate him. But why? Gunshot residue was found on the collar of Russell's shirt, indicating that while his wife was killed with a claw hammer, it's likely that Russell died at the hand of a gun. Perhaps the bullet lodged into Russell's head, and the killer, worried that the bullet could somehow be traced back to him, decided to remove Russell's head. Also, the garage floor, besides a little bit of blood, was also pristinely clean, which indicated to the police officers that the killer had laid down towels around Russell's head before committing the heinous act of decapitation. They believe that he did this to possibly keep blood from spilling out of the garage and into the driveway, probably postponing the Dermans' discovery for even longer. The cut on Russell's neck showed no hesitation marks. Mind you, it was not a surgical cut, just no hesitation marks. So this meant that this person might have done this sort of thing before. Okay, so you might be wondering, Rochelle, didn't you say that they lived in a private, affluent, gated community? So shouldn't there be security cameras? Yes, you are absolutely right. Police referred to these security cameras, but there were two problems. One, it appeared that the security tapes were not working the weeks leading up to the murder, including the night of the murder, due to like this terrible storm that had occurred in Georgia earlier. And two, police didn't think that the drivers drove in. By car, anyway. You see, while the Dermans had a private boat dock, they actually didn't own a boat. And while their dock was private, Lake Okney isn't. It's public to anyone who has a boating license and a boat. So investigators believe that whoever killed the Dermans probably quietly docked their boat and came in to the house. Police went to the local docks to see if anyone knew had recently docked a boat, but no one knew had. This made investigators very nervous because this meant that whoever was responsible for this crime was most likely from the area. With the killer so good at cleaning up after himself, no hesitation marks on either of the victims, police were worried. Had this person done this sort of thing before and was it only a matter of time before they would do it again? So investigators are still left with puzzling questions. Where did the actual murders occur and who committed the murders, and why. If it was just like some psycho selecting a couple at random, 
why did they pick the Dermans? The Dermans house was probably the smallest home in the gated community. There were neighbors um, that were like famous musicians, business moguls, and like super, super well-off attorneys and politicians. So why not select one of those homes who would like surely have more money? To police, the answer was simple, but also terrifying. No money was taken from the home. Nothing, in fact, was taken from the home except for Russell and Shirley, which led investigators to believe that there was, in fact, no motive at all. And that is a terrifying thought. That would mean that someone literally just randomly selected this elderly couple, most likely because their house was, like, secluded at the end of a big cul-de-sac, and they killed simply because they wanted to kill. The motive was simply a thrill kill. That being said, the police definitely believe that this wasn't completely random. They believe that the attacker knew the Dermans and that they possibly knew him. Remember, there was no forced entry and everything in the home was immaculate, no signs of a struggle. Was this someone the Dermans invited into their home because they knew him and then he ambushed them? Could be. A year after the Dermans' death, a neighbor came forward saying that the night in question they saw a man at the Dermans' property. However, no police sketch was ever released to the public. Now, is this because the neighbor didn't get a good enough look at the man or something else? Not likely because shortly after this witness came forward with his account of seeing a man at their property the night that they were killed, investigators announced that they had a person of interest. And this makes me think that the neighbor who saw someone also knew who that someone was and was able to give the police their name and therefore didn't need to create a police sketch. Police had investigated this person of interest who they have not named shortly after the murders, so he was obviously on their radar already, and recalled that the man during his interview had given them false information about something. And it wasn't like a huge something, it was just like a little something. And even at the time of this lie, the police knew that he was lying. And I guess it just kind of like makes you wonder, like, why lie about something so trivial if you have nothing to hide? The police have never confirmed whether their person of interest and the man that the neighbor saw are one and the same, but I would not doubt it. <laughs> Some people in the community believe the murders were done by a hitman for hire, probably just because of how meticulous the crimes were and how clean and organized and like even the cut on the neck of Russell like clearly showed experience, but police highly doubt it. So with all of this doubting of all of the theories, what do the investigators believe? While they're being rather tight-lipped about the whole thing, they have hinted that they believe extortion may have been the initial motive. Um, and then the plan, for whatever reason, went awry, and that's why the rest of what happened went so, like, off the rails so quickly. They also believe that there were possibly at least two perpetrators, if not more. 
They believe that it's possible that one man killed Russell in an attempt to get Shirley to comply to their demands, but with her husband dead, she no longer cared, and they weren't like able to get any of the information that they wanted out of her, and that's why they killed her. Or it could be possible that the plan was to take Shirley away from the home as a hostage and tell Russell that they would only bring her back safely if he did what they said, but Russell wouldn't do it, and that's why they were both killed. Regardless of the motive, two very lovely people are dead. Two lovely people who, like, from what I've researched, like, they would not hurt a fly. They didn't have an ounce of malice in their entire bodies, were killed, and for no apparent reason. I don't even, I can't even imagine what their final moments were like. They must have been so confused so terrified, wondering like why this is all happening to them. I hope that one day whoever committed these heinous crimes against these incredibly hardworking and lovable people um, is found and brought to justice. Okay, so just a few more things to mention before we wrap up today's episode. When I was researching this case, I couldn't help but think about Um, Israel Keys. And if you don't know who Israel Keys is, he's basically the most notorious and prolific serial killer you've never heard of. Uh, This guy had an affinity for selecting and killing elderly couples completely at random. He didn't know them. They didn't know him. He would just see some elderly people, follow them home, stake their house for a bit, and attack them in the middle of the night. When Israel Keys was captured, he admitted to burying what he called kill kits all over the country just so that he would always be prepared. I wonder if he was an Eagle Scout. (laughs) Whatever. Anyways, police thought that he was bluffing, but he showed them how to get to a few like all over the country. And sure enough, there they were. Even now, every once in a while, an unknowing citizen will accidentally come upon one of his infamous kill kits. So, with that in mind, I decided to look up where Israel Keys was in May of 2014. And it turns out, he had a very good alibi. He had committed suicide two years prior while in custody at his jail cell. So, it could not have been him. But you know Israel Keys wasn't one of a kind, although I'm sure he thought he was. There are actually, likely, many others like him, and that is terrifying. A few years ago, police came out with an official statement asking people to let them know if there is anyone they know who had some sort of affinity with guns and knives and might have been in the area at the time that the murder of the murders, to which I thought... Um, Excuse me, sir. You're in Georgia, and Georgia is big on hunting. And I'm willing to bet almost everybody in Georgia has an affinity for guns and knives. So that's not really going to be too useful. Um, also, I looked at a picture of Der- the Dermans home, and all of the papers like made it seem like they lived at the end of a cul-de-sac, which in my mind, I was picturing like a Utah cul-de-sac. But no, like this house, I'm going to post a picture of it on the Instagram post, it is like sick clue did. 
okay? Like a bunch of trees around the entire house and not a neighboring house in sight. So how investigators thought neighbors would have heard or seen anything that night is beyond me and like also P.S. totes not a cul-de-sac. However, even more recently, this is like some exciting news, like super recent, like May 2022 recent, Officer Sills, who was the original officer who was working on this case eight years ago, he made a statement that they found some new evidence and he is hoping that it breathes new life into this very cold case. He says, quote, just last week, I received some data, primarily cell phone data, that we have been waiting on for quite some time. That data was downloaded into a program that the FBI has and they are assisting us in analyzing the data now. The technology we are using was not in existence back in 2014. I don't want to create the impression that I have acquired some silver magical bullet, but this is yet another tool that we are using trying to find out who perpetrated these heinous crimes. What we need more than anything is for someone to call us and tell us who is responsible for this savagery. So, with all that being said, I am super curious to know what you all make of this case. Do you think it was someone the Dermans knew? Do you think it was a completely random act of callous violence? What do you think the motive could have possibly been? Do you even think that there was a motive? Let me know all of your thoughts on the post that I'll make of today's case. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is always a pleasure to talk true crime with all of you. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at mysterystillunsolved and visit my website www.mysterystillunsolved.com. Tell a true crime loving friend or family member about me and don't feel the need to limit it to family and friends. Tell your awkward neighbor, tell your barista, tell your pizza delivery person, your podiatrist, the toll booth dude. I mean, come on. They're stuck in a little booth all day. If ever someone needed a little excitement in their lives, it would be the toll booth guy. Um, I want everyone to know about mysteries still unsolved. So leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. A good one, please, because like I don't want to have a mental breakdown, I beg of you. Um, but do you want to know the best way to support this podcast? I know you do. I know you do. Of course you do. Uh, join me next week when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?